Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Art of Charm podcast, where we break down the science of powerful communication and the winning mindset so that you have the cheat code to succeed with people. Every episode is jam-packed with actionable insights and steps to unlock the hidden superpowers inside of you. We call that your X factor, and it's what makes you extraordinary. Level up with us each week by listening to interviews with the best in business, psychology, and relationships. In fact, we distill thousands of hours of research into the most effective tools and the latest science so that you can start winning today. Let's face it, in order to be seen and heard, your communication needs to cut through the noise, and we're going to show you how. I'm AJ, a recovering introvert, cancer biologist, and self-development junkie. I'm John Zubak, former touring musician, venue promoter, and rock and roller, and co-founder at The Art of Charm. And for the last 15 years, we've trained thousands of top performers and teams from every background. And we have dedicated our lives to teaching men and women elite communication, networking, and connection skills. Everything we share with you on this podcast is directly from our world-famous X-Factor Accelerator program. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Now let's kick off today's interview. Today we're talking with Jennifer Kemp, one of the leading experts on perfectionism. If you've ever struggled with procrastination, putting things off, or been afraid of failure, then you're going to want to tune in to today's episode. Kemp is a clinical psychologist in Australia. She works with clients who are struggling with perfectionism, as well as problems associated with perfectionism, like anxiety, depression, eating and body image problems, as well as OCD. Now, she's the author of a fantastic workbook, the ACT Workbook for Perfectionism, and does workshops and seminars worldwide. We're so excited she's joining us today because we found that many in our audience have struggled with perfectionism, keeping you from the success you're looking for in your life. So if you've faced self-doubt, you have an inner critic, you can't seem to quiet, or you're just not sure where to get started, then you're going to love today's episode. All right. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting to be on here today. Yeah. So Michael Harold, one of our team members, has ran into you in a few conferences, and we've had this topic come up on the show again and again in passing, the idea of perfectionism. Many in our audience may not even realize they struggle with it. So today we're excited to have you here to unpack un- unpack perfectionism and, and really this idea of unhelpful perfectionism, because I think many of us feel that, well, who wouldn't want to strive to be perfect? And perfectionism can even be seen as a personality trait. That's a good thing. 
but it does also impact us in negative ways. So I'd love to just talk a little bit about unhelpful perfectionism, what that means and, and how we can tell the difference between the two. Yeah, sure. I think that's a starting out a really good point. When I work with people on perfectionism, one of the first things I'll say is like, you don't have to drop your standards. There's nothing wrong with, you know, aiming high, wanting to do good work. I feel the same way. I love doing high quality work. I'm not going to tell you to be a slacker here, you know, and I'm not into wasting my time when I'm working with people either. So if I was to ask you to do that, you probably wouldn't do it. So like, let's not both waste our time. There are so many helpful aspects to perfectionism, really, that and, and often it's called like that kind of healthy striving, like wanting to do a really good job, wanting to succeed. And like, yeah, let's that's great. Some people are very motivated around that. That's probably a core value of theirs is to do, you know, maybe have a good big impact on the planet or help lots of people or you know, do really great quality work. And perfectionism, the helpful sides can come along with all of that. And then there's this sort of element where it can just sort of tip over into something that is unhelpful that really you don't even like realize that that's happened until you're kind of already there. And I think that's, there's a few different things, if I can break it down for you, like that I look for. Um, the first is, is that there's sort of like, a switch from setting high standards to those standards becoming really rigid rules that you have to follow. So like uh, for a student, it goes from like, I, I want to do well um, at college to, you know, I must get a, an A in every assignment, in every subject and have a perfect GPA, you know, and it's become a rigid rule that then is like controlling what you're doing. Like I have to work harder and harder. And I often work with with um, students on things like proportional effort, for example. Like you just don't put the same amount of effort into something that's worth 5% that's something compared to something that's worth, you know, 30% of your total grade. And if you're trying to get like perfect grades for everything, you're going to really burn yourself out for a start. But one thing that um, even further than that, the perfectionists do is that they keep raising that bar all the time. So once I kind of get like all A's or something, then I need all A pluses, you know, then I need like that little bit more. Or once I, you know, get sort of that approval from my manager or something like that, I need it like all the time. Like I need to be the best at this sort of thing and just kind of perfectionists just keep raising their standards each time they get something. And you, you, you're probably familiar with this, that idea of like, oh, well, I did it, you know, but like, it's not, anyone could have done it, you know, like that sort of discounting your achievements and then like setting the bar higher next time. And what, and what that leads to is this kind of idea where, um, your the bar that you're trying to reach the standard or benchmark you're trying to reach is um always just out of reach like you're just always setting it higher if you set your standards like always out of reach then you're going to end up constantly feeling like you're failing because you you're never going to get there and if you base how you feel about yourself on meeting those standards then you're going to feel like a failure yourself even though you might be achieving just amazing things you still weirdly feel like you're failing so when i'm looking for perfectionism in people and it shows up in really unusual like places i'm looking for this kind of rigid standard that they're setting for themselves and then i'm and that they keep raising that over the time over time 
and we are looking for like real fear of failure, like really um, like how I feel about myself is dependent on meeting those standards. So then I'm really scared of failing because if I do fail, I'm going to feel just terrible about myself. Like it brings up lots of feelings of shame and embarrassment and the urge to kind of withdraw, get away from people. So, yeah, so we've got those rigid standards, fear of failure, and then a lot of self-criticism if you don't meet those standards. So they're sort of like, I guess you could say the drivers of perfectionism and that perfectionistic self-criticism, that stuff, like I've certainly felt it, it's relentless, like nitpicking, fault finding. If, if I use any like Australian terms, please pull me up. Like I've, I sometimes, you know, I've done podcasts overseas and people have said, you're what? You know, <laughs> like, so just, <laughs> just pull me up. But anyway, nitpicking and, and fault finding and like just constantly almost like in technical terms, we call it hypervigilant, like constantly looking for something that could go wrong or try, trying to prevent something going wrong. So the fourth thing I'm looking for is usually a whole bunch of different avoidant type of behaviors, like all the sorts of things that you're doing to try and get away, make sure you don't fail, try not to feel bad, don't criticize myself. So they can, you know, the the stereotype is the high achieving type A perfectionist, you know, but actually I just as often will see people who kind of don't do anything at all. Like they're just frozen by this debilitating almost yeah if i can't do it perfectly i won't do it all do it at all i was like that as a kid like i'm not a team sport player so i'm just not naturally gifted at that you guys might be but i'm not um i worked that out really early and so anytime i had to do team sport i was just trying to find some way out of that and so i just didn't do it at all still love to exercise now but i don't really do team sports still but i kind of enjoy some aspects of that but it's funny now because i can I feel like I've got a bit more permission to stuff it up, but I didn't have that permission when I was younger. I couldn't mess up. One of the things that comes out in this is this rigidness. And now for our our clients who come through, we give everyone an intake form. And part of that intake form is the ocean test. <laughs> and as you can imagine, we definitely see some patterns that have developed when giving those out. One of those is very low in openness. So very rigid in their ways of, of experiencing new things. And of course, when it comes to art forms and, and conversation connection, I view as an art form, it's difficult not to be rigid for somebody who is high or, or low in that openness because they're gonna need to try new things. And I think this is why they've experienced so much trouble because they're looking at the interaction as something that they would like to do perfectly, something they would like to nail. And even when we, when we lay out some of our strategies, the questions then go to, but if they do this, what do I do? And if they, and if this happens, what do I need to do? And anytime that I hear questioning in that manner, I know that they are looking for the right answer. And of course, when it comes to conversation, connection, there's no right answer. There's no one size fits all strategy that is going to allow you to be, be able to do this. And you have to be able to allow things to develop. So I would imagine that this goes to the control aspect and rigid people like to have 
control over the things that they're they're, they're engaging in. Uh, f- feeling a loss of control, I can certainly see why that would cause a lot of anxiety for those. Could you speak to that, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it when I work a lot with other helping professionals too, because we work in an area that is really high in uncertainty. We never really know, and working as a coach, working in leadership, working as a therapist, um, social worker, any kind of area where you've got people, (laughs) I guess, you've got a high degree of uncertainty because people can't be controlled, can they, really? Much as you might, you know, some of us probably have tried. So dealing with that, when you've got a lot of uncertainty, it's a natural, uh, in in your kind of context and what's going on around you, it's a natural thing to try and control that. Um, And you need to control that if you want to be sure that you're going to do well. You're going to be sure that you won't fail. And that's where that kind of, yeah, that rigid standard of like, I must not ever fail. And when I, and just to, as a side, when I talk about failure, I mean in the broadest sense, like a failure is really kind of any time where you haven't met your own standards. So that could be, um, obviously you could fail in your assignments for know in at school but you can also fail socially by being you know kind of awkward or embarrassed and so embarrassing yourself and that's like a little social failure you can fail in leadership because your team doesn't perform as well as it needs to perform you can fail to meet you know obviously work standards or targets and those kinds of things there's a strong failure is really anything I had one client once just freak out because they feel this immense sense of shame because they left locked their keys in the car and they felt this this as a failure I can't believe <laughs> I've done this stupid thing and it wrecked my whole day and so any little mistake can be can be a failure so of course you want to lock that down and that is this yeah control is like one of those strategies um, I would call like an active avoidance strategy. So by actively doing this thing, another form of control, like if I want to control the outcome, is checking my work a lot of times, spending an hour writing and rewriting an email to make sure it's perfect. I'm trying to control how the reader, the, the reader is going to receive that and control my world around me. So yeah, I can absolutely see low openness and the ocean scale being related to this. Do they still call it neuroticism as well in the ocean scale? (laughs) And we had an episode recently about that and how it shows up. Another thing that, that we see in doing these exercises, right, especially when it comes to the uncertainty around communication, is any little trip up, they'll have to restart the exercise from the very beginning. And we do video work in our improv sessions in our X Factor program, and we do video work in our live training in person. And we will have from time to time clients who make one little tiny flub and then have to start the exercise over and hold everyone up in class until they can redo that exercise. And a large part about communicating with other people is there's going to be flubs constantly. We're all making mistakes and tripping over our words. Thankfully, this podcast is edited, so you don't get to hear many of those flubs. But that's a normal part of conversation. And if you're going into every conversation in the second there's a mistake saying, I have to start over, I have to pull back, I have to redo it, that constant need to redo things 
is debilitating. It's an unhelpful form of perfectionism. And when we point that out, of course, many times they don't identify as perfectionists. They're just like, hey, I'm trying to do what you taught me the right way. And we have to explain, that's why we teach everything in frameworks, right? We don't teach you spell out exactly what to say word for word because every audience member is going to perceive that differently. And if you were sitting there memorizing lines of conversation, well, it's hard to listen. It's hard to recognize emotional bids. It's hard to be open and vulnerable to connection. So we have to unwind some of that unhelpful perfectionism for them to see like, oh, I can make mistakes and it's okay. One of the easiest ways to do that is more improv comedy where you, you have to be on your toes thinking on the spot and the flubs lead to the laughs. The flubs lead to the humor. Oh my goodness! I want to do your program so much. That sounds. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. I got to do like one. I got to do one session of improv comedy at Worldcon in Dublin. Um, that I went to a conference there, and oh my god, was that fun! <laughs> so, but I need to do more of this. you um, I love the idea of using improv as a way of of having people be able to safely explore boundaries and safely try out kind of different things. And because of that structure, that being so supportive in improv isn't like really focusing on what's gone well, what's funny, what's, you know, it really helps people to perhaps unhook from just constantly critiquing their own behavior, but it would take a lot of practice. The perfectionists I work with, or the, I always see this sort of tendency to, um, like uh, whenever they want to change something or learn something, there's this like um, to leap to the end. You know, I want to be able to leap to the finish without any of the messy middle bit, you know, like the the stuffing up, the messing it up along the way, the flubs. Flubs? Flubs, yeah. Yeah, love that word. Well, a big part for us in the group training aspect is the reflection back from other members of the program. And that's so important because oftentimes the self-criticism if it's running nonstop and it's never countered with any real evidence, it can overrun the way you view things. And then it takes other members in the program sharing, no, you were funny in that moment, or that was an awesome conversation that we had. And I really enjoyed that. And wow, you're so charismatic to break through that self-criticism that is overriding their ability to just have a bit more fun in an interaction, let loose, be more open, as we said. It also gives them an opportunity to see the way that they think in the context of the, the games that are being played. Now, the way that they, for a lot of our clients, you could say that they're very analytical. They work in problem-solving fields. They're engineers. They're programmers. And so that mindset of getting things perfect works really well when you're engineering, when you're building a bridge, when you're putting something together or you're looking for flaws in things. It's amazing. It's kind of essential. <laughs> Thankfully. Of course. <laughs> but that, that same mindset doesn't work so well in a creative realm where you have to be able to let things go and develop. And I always get excited when we're about to do the improv sessions because I know it is going to frustrate a lot of the folks that come in because they're going to try to use the mindset that they've been so successful in life with. But it's also the mindset that has had them lacking in certain areas, why they're, they're in our class and what they're looking to approve upon. And what's great about improv, and especially if you have a great improv teacher as we do, 
where they won't allow the, the thinking to happen. And if they see our clients putting on their analytical hat, they call them out and won't allow the game to progress. The only way to allow the game to progress is to put on their, their creative and be in the moment hat. And that's when they start to, for the first time, see that they can use a, um, a different mindset, a different thinking process that will allow them to, to be successful in that context. And as AJ said, once they start getting some laughs or they realize that they were better uh, in that s scenario than they thought they were going to be, that gives them an opportunity then to dive into it more. And we've brought improv into our classes because we know the benefits of it. And we thought if they had a taste of it here and, and saw its benefits, that then they would go out into the world world and pursue that more so that they can be in an environment that forces them to switch that hat because they'll just go home and go back into their analytical problem solving mindsets that again, allow them to be successful at work, but not so much in the, in the connection realm. That analytical skill is, 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 as you say, essential in building a bridge or doing a financial report. And you kind of need to have the numbers right in those kinds of things. But it doesn't work in leading people at all uh, because you can't just solve human problems by trying to work them out in your head, unfortunately. They're not maths equations. As Kelly Wilson likes to say, you know, about his clients, you know, we need to appreciate them like sunsets. You don't sit there with a sunset and go, look at the way the light is refracting off that cloud. You just go, wow, look at that. And uh, we need to be, you know, humans have that element of um, chaos about them. They're unpredictable. So, yeah, we can't solve them like maths problems. And when we're criticizing ourselves in that way, we're actually uh, trying to solve ourselves like maths problems too, actually. We're treating ourselves like a problem to be solved. And if I could just critique myself more and control my performance tighter, I can ensure that I feel okay. But it just doesn't work out that way. And I love the way your improv classes, you know, they introduce that an alternative way. I would say, though, that it's probably not going to – it doesn't replace the other way. It provides – an alternative way of looking, interacting. And so it gives people more greater flexibility and hopefully a greater range of options about how they can re like react to the things that are going on in their lives. That loop though, of like going back to, I need to solve this. I need to crit critique myself. I need to, to nail down and bolt down all aspects of my behavior to make sure it's perfect, to make sure I'm okay. That will stay if they keep reinforcing that. So you give this beautiful opportunity for them to just step outside of that. And then I imagine that you have, you see, you would then want to link that to like a why. Why would they keep wanting to go down that path? Because they need to have some ways that that's like reinforced, ways that they just like know, like, are encouraged to keep going yeah, down that path. Absolutely. And it's, it's a night and day difference. It's the difference between an awkward conversation where they feel stuck or trapped, not knowing what to say or do because they don't want to fail versus, and we're going to, we love act. And the first principle is acceptance. This idea that underpins all of improv, which is yes. And whatever happens, you have to accept it and then add to it. 
So in a conversation, you have to accept the mistakes and add to it and keep trucking and keep moving along. And what happens in these moments, whether it's in our X Factor Accelerator or in the boot camp, is there's laughter, there's energy added to these moments that allows them to self-reflect and go, but that was so much more fun than feeling awkward or stuck or frozen or not participating. So that reaction from the rest of the group reinforces, hey, this other way of thinking can help me in this area. It's not to say, hey, don't go into work and yes and your way through a financial report. (laughs) Probably not going to be very helpful. But when you start to see people react to you differently and you start to feel that energy back and all of a sudden you're not internally feeling awkward, you start to accept, hey, this, this way of being in improv and this idea of yes and is a concept that's applicable in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Then there's a felt, you sort of, you talk about the fun and there's a playfulness in that. There's like a, um, a felt sense of that in your body, isn't there? Like some people would say there's like a lightness to that. So they feel an energy versus when they're really stuck in a loop of self-criticism and trying to avoid failure. There's a real tension and tightness and heaviness And I imagine the energy in the room is huge when you're doing this stuff, but um, giving people that a felt experience because you can do your work and you can feel that lightness, that passion, that's probably where they started. You know, your clients were drawn to doing a certain type of work because they found it interesting or maybe not all of them, you know, but then they, they felt curious about it in some way. And if, if they don't feel curious and they don't enjoy their work, then maybe that's not the right work, I would say. But um, you'd like to think that people can find a career where they're genuinely interested. Like, I'm just fascinated by people. I find people endlessly interesting. Not always interpersonally, sometimes the theory of it too, you know. Um, but I just never kind of get tired of that, doing that work. So I, I feel like a joy in doing this work and that's what you're capturing so that's that healthy striving that like I love doing this work I feel really excited by it I feel energized towards it yes sometimes it's hard and I don't love admin but you know so there's elements of that that I don't enjoy but overall I can keep tapping into this sense of like joy and that's that that's a flexible way of you know living your life really isn't it I yeah. mean I, I appreciate that's a very privileged position too yeah like a lot of people just have to work because they have to work like I appreciate that I'm very privileged and I was gonna say I think in a lot of ways we introduce this concept of psychological flexibility in our programs to a lot of our students unfortunately many of them are in career tracks that yes they have immense aptitude for but A lot of times they were pushed by their parents or by school or they rushed into it because they didn't really get to experience much else of life. And for a lot of our clients, you know, you you start out in school, you start doing well in math or science, you get placed into advanced classes. All of a sudden you're getting recognized for the perfection in that area. It feels good. Then your family's reinforcing, okay, you got to be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be an engineer to be successful. And then they get through their 20s and 30s and they they realize, okay, I've sacrificed a lot for this career, but is this where I'm finding meaning? Is this really tapping into my truest potential? And 
oftentimes they haven't been flexible in their life. They've been inflexible in thinking that this is the path, sticking with it. And then they do improv with us. They come through the program. They unlock their own X factor of what really gives them that lightness, that joy, that happiness. And sometimes our clients go and switch careers. They start a side hustle into a business or they go and they want to go teach and coach and help others because the numbers, the math, the science isn't as interesting anymore. And what you touched on was was something that Johnny and I recognize. And, and one of the things we love the most about the work that we do is we'll often hear from clients in the weeks following their program that people will ask, what what did you do in Las Vegas? What What is this thing that's going on? Because they're carrying themselves lighter, like a weight has been lifted off, physically lifted off their shoulders because they've been so self-critical, so full of doubt, and they're wearing that openly in their body language. Others are picking up on that energy and others are avoiding them because of that energy. And all of a sudden they're standing taller. They're showcasing a bit more of a smile. They're adding a bit more humor instead of their dry analysis to a conversation. And people are like, did you get a new haircut? Are you working with a stylist? Uh, did you start losing some weight? And it's a change that's happening internally, but it's being expressed outwardly and people pick up on it. Yeah. Wow. What great feedback to get. Um, and how do you get people to maintain that long term? You know, there's that initial burst when they get home and they want to change everything. Um, how do you, do you provide like ongoing support? Because I can still imagine that that self-criticism, like um, I'm not, do- oh, the, the paradox of working with perfectionism is you trying to be, you know, perfectly imperfect, right? So um, I'm going to do this like crazy relaxed thing perfectly now. I'm going to be my authentic self perfectly. There we are. We're straight back into locking it down, aren't we? We just created a rule. So it's such a paradox there. A big part is the group experience. And they, they often maintain communication with other participants. Years later, we'll find out that they've traveled together and they were complete strangers in starting the program together. Even in our X Factor program, we've had members go on trips together, just meeting each other through Zoom and the coaching sessions and having fun in the monthly improv sessions and allowing the storytelling sessions to really spark their vulnerability. And they feel more connected to other members of X Factor than some of their close friends at home. And that support of seeing others striving and putting this into practice reinforces for them, even if right now they're facing a struggle or they're feeling themselves falling back into their comfort zone of, hey, I can do this too. Like this is possible for me. I want to add to that as well. It, the group support is is certainly helpful, and it, and it goes a long way in keeping people connected into in into what they're working on. The other part of that is the rewards that they get for trying things differently and succeeding, and seeing people's the seeing interactions with people now take on a different it changes and they're actually enjoying themselves and because of the what the, the skills that they have built they're having fun and the other people that they're now engaged with interacting with they're having fun too they're not dealing with somebody who is stiff and rigid and in their head and whose body language looks as if they've been hit over the back of the head with a shovel. Now they're lighter. Now they're laughing. Now they're in the moment. There are rewards that come with that. And we all understand how much change comes with reward. Wow. Wow. It certainly sounds like you guys get some 
like really interesting results out of your program. Um, how do you find that you don't try and do it perfectly yourself? You know, how do you, <laughs> I mean, you're surrounded by your job is sounds like fun creators and flexibility creators here, which sounds awesome, but it's so easy to get stuck in that trap, right? Luckily for I us, do. Johnny and I have never considered ourselves perfectionists. Oh, okay. So that trap for us is something Johnny being a creative and performing and me working in science before this and realizing that there's no perfection when it comes to scientific experiments. All we try to do with the program experience is seek feedback and grow from the feedback. You know, we just had a, a team of special operators come through the program and they're giving us a full debrief and we can't wait to get the debrief because we want to continue to improve. If we were to go into that experience or, or hop on an X Factor Accelerator call saying this call has to be perfect, not only would our clients suffer, but we know the pain that we would suffer from that mindset. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing a lot of really great modeling for your clients then, right? We About try our best. Be, hold, it, hold it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, certainly in, in music for myself, a lot of my favorite artists and their and my favorite work from those artists are the the records that are imperfect, that have wrong notes, where where the band is so loose that they're messing up in those recordings. To me, that is the perfection of those records and that and and that will never happen again those are what's what's beautiful about that and of course even for myself and my my own transformation and 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 history and music of having to get on stage and being awful as a kid when you're getting on stage and clearing out rooms from performing and and working on getting back in the garage knowing that we, we should do better next time, or if we practice more, we'll enjoy it more. And there's another aspect of it too that is very important that, I'm, that I wanna see our clients reach, which is when you're in the moment and you're enjoying yourself, you sort of transcend the moment. When you're self-conscious and you're in your head, it's painful, it's frustrating, that's where the anxiety is. When you're in the moment and you're enjoying yourself and you're able to create, whether that, cre that creative spark is you being on stage and transcending the moment, or you firing on all cylinders on a first date, loving that you are killing it, and that the person is just highly engaged in the, your conversation and that they, can, they can't wait to see you again and knowing that you just knocked it out of the park. Well, for our clients, for myself, th then you begin chasing that. You, you want those moments because every moment that you are, tr you transcend the moment. What you feel from that is incredibly addictive. Yeah, that's the same in therapy. You have the odd session where, I mean, I'd love to say it was every session. My inner perfectionist would say <laughs> this should be every single session, but it's just not true. Um, you have sessions where, you know, some sort of light bulb goes on where you make some one or other of you make some sort of realization. The client shifts uh, they've come back and they said, I tried this thing we talked about and like, wow. Um, or they give you feedback like this has been so helpful. Like those are rare. I don't know. I, you clients don't spend a lot of time telling you that you're doing a great job and that's fine. That's part of the job. I don't go around seeking it either. But wait, 
Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Get back to the behavioral science, just to use a tiny bit of techie talk. That's called an intermittent reinforcement schedule. So like way back when I did first year psychology, they said if a pigeon is tapping on a button and uh, every time it taps, it gets a grain of wheat, it'll just keep regularly tapping. But if it's tapping on a button and just every now and again, randomly, a piece of wheat comes out, that pigeon starts tapping like crazy on that button because it's just waiting for the next reward. And you know what? We actually do the same thing. Mm, Of course. (laughs) So we just like... We love those moments. They're so fantastic, aren't they? But if we're expecting that every moment will be golden like that, every moment will have that sparkling 
quality to it. It's just not going to happen. So we just keep tapping, right? We just keep trying something else. Um, And that's where psychological flexibility is really helpful because that idea of I don't have to just keep doing the same thing. I can try a range of different things. I can try all sorts of different approaches and I can do that because I can stuff up. It's okay to mess up. I can try this new technique in coaching or as a therapist or whatever I'm working as, as a leader, I can try this thing and guess what? It's going to, I'm going to flub, do you call it? Um, it's going to sound clunky is the phrase that I'll use. But, you know, I can try something new and see whether, you know, what happens. So it is, it's so hard, it's so hard to teach. Um, I get the people who are really stuck. I think about uh, perfectionism, like, like on a continuum from sort of like maybe you guys like really relaxed to perfectionistic and then OCD is out the other end and like where you really locked down then and that is immobilizing like if i can't make any mistake at all then uh i can't do anything i literally am frozen i've had clients like it it goes a lot into health as well right i work on a lot of health goals i see a lot of people for weight management and binge eating problems and um and a lot of them like very simple goals are really hard to set i'll say you know let's talk about increasing your physical exercise. You know, that's part of this sort of broader, healthy life that we're trying to build. And they go, sure, I'm going to go walking every day. Mm. I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) Like, that's not going to happen. Like, immediately they set this perfect forever goal. So the first day that it's raining or they have to go to work early or, you know, they can't walk, um, they've failed because of this sort of rigid, absolute rule. So then it's like, well, I'm always failing, so I'm just going to give up now. And, or, you know, you forget for the whole week and then, oh, I'm supposed to be walking, you know, well, I'm a failure. So there's another bit of evidence for that. So I try and work on increasing the frequency of that particular thing over time, increasing the frequency of the desired behavior over time. So it's like if, if what we're aiming for is, Uh, increasing some healthy habits. Um, Maybe we're eating lunch every day so that we don't get to dinner completely starving or to eat and finish off a tub of ice cream. You know, let's start adding in lunch. So like how many times can you add lunch in across the week? Let's see what you can do and let's see if we can use that as a baseline and keep building on that. Or how many walks do you think you could get done between now and when I next see you? So it's introducing this idea of it being like it's an imperfect goal, isn't it? We're not aiming for an absolute, mo- like from <laughs> always to this, like um, from now for forever, I'm going to do this new behavior. It's like, no, you're not because humans are imperfect and you just, it, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And that new behavior has to become a, an identity, right? If you go from a couch to now I'm a walker and I walk every day, that's such a great identity shift. That's not going to happen after a couple strolls in the afternoon. 
It doesn't. It happens over time when we can start to see that this is something that I can do, that I, you know, I whack on my favorite podcast and I can enjoy. It's the only time I get to listen to podcasts going walking. So I was listening to one this morning. And so, you know, there's a bonus there. And I, uh, and I, um, yeah, I get to enjoy that experience and I can start to see myself as a regular walker, someone who really enjoys doing that. So this continuum of perfectionism, you know, I'd like to talk on the the high perfectionism side, some of the mental health impacts, because I think, and even I didn't know in going through the workbook that all of these were tied to perfectionism. And then after we talk about some of these mental health issues, then, you know, what are those warning signs, like the blinking red light on our dashboard? That's like, okay, maybe this perfectionism that's been helping me strive in my career is now starting to control my life, starting to control my eating, starting to impact me in really negative ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, that's the sort of the outcome, isn't it, of these avoidant behaviors, whether they're they're active avoidant behaviors. Like I'm I'm finding that I'm spending so long just going over and over the emails and the reports I have to produce. I'm working three hours longer than I need to, or I'm getting behind in my work, my boss is unhappy with me. Like when it's starting to cause big problems like that, or I'm having a lot of difficulty spending all my time worrying about eating and food and can't go to a social event because I'm worried about what they're going to serve and what I'm supposed to eat when I'm there. Or um, those are the sorts of signs that things are getting, yeah, getting out of hand, I guess you'd say, and that you're definitely heading into an area of mental health problems. So the common mental health problems that overlap with perfectionism is probably number one, or oh, uh, I can't rank them because they're all very, very related. OCD and perfectionism go together like hand in glove. Because of that difficulty with uncertainty that Johnny was talking about, about needing to like control. And um, OCD is all about control and not uh, like being able to control your world and to avoid feeling the distress, the uneasiness that, that the obsession is sort of triggering in you. So that's what all the compulsions are about in OCD. And it is, I've missed it. I've missed it in clients for ages. I've been working on them with perfectionism and then realized, taken me a while to realize just how far it's spread into multiple different areas of their life. I mean, OCD is one where people, everyone sort of thinks of it as like, I'm so OCD because I have a tidy home, which is, you know, such an unfortunately not a good thing to say because it's a very serious mental health problem but talking like it's and, and they think about it as hand washing uh, and those kinds of things there's many different types of it and it can take a little while to realize that these things are linked together that's where you probably need to see a therapist to help you get that one sorted eating as well so eating disorders of all kinds sort of anorexia the more chaotic bulimic or binge eating those kinds of types of eating disorders particular anorexia nervosa is, is really about uh, control again and certainly you can have it in any other kind as well and if you're finding that you're spending a huge amount of your day or almost all day worrying about food weight eating your body those kinds of things then there's a problem like that's not a good way to live your life and you can get help on that one there's a few others too oh yeah just one more i just wanted to say johnny if i can sorry is depression is a huge relationship with it that was the one i wanted to discuss because i don't think many people make that 
that link. I think OCD is is pretty easy for someone to think, okay, well, if you're seeking perfection with your body or your weight, okay, I can understand an eating disorder. OCD, perfection around the house, I can understand lights needing to be in a certain position. But depression, you know, that I wouldn't think is often considered to be linked to perfectionism. How do those two relate? So depression, stress, and burnout, because if you're always setting yourself up to fail, so you're never meeting your own standards, or you can't do things because you can't do them perfectly, you end up feeling like a failure and uh, avoiding a lot of really fulfilling things in your life. Um, so many people, I can't go out, I feel awkward, you know, my friends won't like me, I'll say something stupid, so they don't go. I mean, we know that depression isn't just a chemical imbalance in the brain. That may be an outcome, though. It is being pulled away from, being disconnected from meaningful work, being disconnected from meaningful relationships, a sense of purpose, back to that those values we were talking about before. Depression is, is caused by that sort of disconnection. You know, we are, we're social monkeys, humans. We need to connect with other monkeys kind of thing, you know, and we need, and if we don't have those connections and that sense of purpose and meaning and belonging, then we end up depressed. It's one of the biggest causes um, of depression. So yeah, those people you're talking about who've, you know, their mum and dad were lawyers. They did well in English at school. They were sent to law school. They're now lawyers and now they're in their 30s going, what am I doing with my life? I hate this stuff. Quite possibly going to be depressed because they've not got that connection to that meaning and purpose in their lives. So, yeah, depression is a huge and actually even suicide is related to, to perfectionism as well. Can't tell exactly the mechanism, but I just think it's a logical progression. Yeah. I think with a lot of the perfectionism that we see in our clients, it does cause them to take on some antisocial tendencies to withdraw and pull away from social situations, to turn down invites from friends. And the problem with a lot of this perfectionism is they don't realize the signal they're sending is not telling someone, hey, I'm a perfectionist, I'm struggling with this, I don't feel comfortable at the event. It's just telling the other person, hey, I don't like you. And that, that cycle can be really tough to break. There are people in your life that do care about you, that do want a relationship with you. But if you're constantly turning down the event invitation, if you're constantly making last minute cancellations because your hair isn't perfect or you couldn't get the right outfit or you don't know what you're going to say when you walk in the room to the crowded party, you know, those things that you feel are protecting you and keeping you from failure are outwardly expressing to others that you're not interested in their connection, their relationship, their friendship. And once we break that cycle, then they'll they'll reply to us and say, wow, you know, I, I didn't even realize I had this many friends or I didn't even realize making friends was this easy. And it's like, well, all those tiny decisions that perfectionism led you to turn down situations where you could connect with people, once that's been alleviated, well, yeah, you realize connecting with people is a lot easier. It was sort of you self-destructively ruining potential relationships because your perfectionism was getting in the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, you'd end up depressed. Of course you would. Um, and burned out too, because if you, you know, we know that burnout, a lot of that's got to do with the context you're working in. That's got a lot to do with the organization, unreasonable demands, too much work, unclear you know, got like um, 
demanding, maybe perfectionistic bosses, unclear outcomes, like burnout happens in that kind of context. So if you then also expect that you should be doing really well, if you have really high standards for yourself in that environment, you're more likely to end up hitting burnout as well. And disregard that, yeah, the, it's the organization that's probably the bigger problem here. I do talk to people a lot about those sorts of things, like really what what is going on at your work? You know, this is not you. This is This is not good. And yeah, what other options have you got? Well, that's where communication is so key, right? If, if you're communicating to your boss, to your supervisors, to your workmates that, hey, these are unreal expectations or these deadlines are impossible or, hey, there's no way that I could work 90 hours a week and their response is do it anyways or why aren't you or reinforcing that it just needs to happen, then that's certainly a sign of a culture that's leading to the burnout. But again, some of this perfectionist tendency to not communicate to live in your head and ruminate and think back on all of these potential mistakes and errors that leads to you taking four hours on a report that should take 30 minutes. Or what I'd love to end this discussion with, which is a sign we see a lot, just procrastination in general. You know, And we've even seen it in some of our teammates. I've been guilty of it at times. And many people don't realize that procrastination is a, a sign of this perfectionism <laughs> getting in the way. AJ, I did not think you were a perfectionist, but yes, procrastination is, uh, <laughs> I tend to personally, like the things that I'll procrastinate on are the things that make me feel nervous, that sort of stretch me out of my comfort zone, which initially was doing things like podcasts, scared okay. the hell out of me. Um, you know, I'm better at it now, I'm hoping probably not perfect all fine but it was like those first few I was like oh yeah maybe I could meet you oh yeah okay like and I put it off and put it off and put it off um and yeah so it's interesting isn't it we do procrastinate on things also though starting early like I tend to start my more more preference is to start early and then spend way too long on it so I overwork it is probably more my pattern. What about you, Johnny? Do you procrastinate? Um, not really. I just prefer to just get, just make a mess and deal with it. I love how you guys are so, yeah, it's a, we are coming from very different place. Like I definitely my whole life have been a perfectionist. So found lots of different ways of coping it. Just I take my hat off to you guys. We're so just like, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm just going to give it a crack. I'm going to see what happens. For me, I recognize that I just need firmer deadlines and I need to loop team members in. So it's like when Johnny's asking, hey, where is that thing? Then my procrastination can't get the best of me. Now I'm holding up the team. I'm holding up deadlines that we put together. Uh, but that's what I have to do to manage those moments of procrastination. And it's an emotional dysregulation, right? It's discomfort. I don't feel like doing this. There's the potential for uncertainty or stress around this might not work out. The mistakes worry me less, but there are oftentimes stress from other parts of the running the business, coaching, managing the team will lead to me going, you know what, do I need to respond to the IRS today? Oh, they said not till February 14th. So I'll, I'll put that lower on my desk and then it gets piled up with some other papers and it's right at the deadline. And Amy's saying, why are we rushing to the post office? You've had this piece of mail for two months, right? So those sorts of things definitely catch me in my, my procrastination. Yeah, absolutely. They're the boring tasks. I think we all get attracted to the ones that we really like to do. Um, like you like to 
actually do the coaching and actually deliver, you know, help people. Um, but yeah, procrastination. I do see people fall, dropping out of college, dropping out of uni because they are, they're unable to hand their assignments in because they're not quite right. Or, and, and there's so many socially acceptable, like, oh, I just like, I need, I need a deadline. That's okay. Like I, I appreciate a deadline too, but that sort of rule of I can't start it until 24 hours before the deadline is not helpful. Not helpful for if you're, particularly if you're underestimating the amount of time it's going to take to complete it, uh, end up working 24 hours straight on it. And still it's not at the standard you could do it at. So procrastination is definitely that experiential avoidance, we would call it an act, um, trying to get away from uncomfortable feelings. So for most of my clients, I see a lot of young, young adults. It's like, yeah, I really need to work on my thesis, but look at over here. Like I just got to check in with my friends and do a bit of gaming and I'm I'm just doing my Twitch stream here you know um or I'm chatting to my friends on Discord and oh yeah I should get back to that oh my goodness I really should get some sleep now I'll have a look at it tomorrow and it's so hard isn't it in the modern world with so many I mean thankfully when I went through uh uni way back in the 90s the first time so old. Um, the I didn't have that level of distraction just actually on my computer. It wasn't there. So um, I had many other distractions and I would have a nap or something, but I didn't have like, yeah, just constant things going on. It's so hard now. Yeah. I can't remember the comedian. He, he made a, a reference to just the sheer number of screens in the modern world. And we have screens in front of screens in front of screens. And for me growing up, like I had to fight my sister for the one screen with the dial up internet, you know, just to get my homework done. And now it's like, I have my Apple watch with my iPad and my iPhone and the TV and another side. And all of a sudden I'm surrounded by screens where that procrastination becomes even easier. It really does. It really does. I think our attention span has shortened too a lot, hasn't it? In this, this generation. But I do think, um, just back to perfectionism, like that is a something. If I then expect myself to be able to concentrate perfectly, um, if I have a standard for myself where I need to have all of my work at a certain grade or performance level, then these distractions are just creating an even harder context to work in where I'm going to be criticizing myself even more. And we know social media is designed to be addictive. And we know that, you know, the, that we now have all these streaming, you know, platforms that are really trying to get our dollar and, um, and YouTube and, you know, so on. Oh my gosh, TikTok, you know, they're designed to pull us in. So, um, and yet, my clients, they just blame themselves for that. 100% my fault. I should be doing better at this. I should be managing all of this. I should also be doing yoga every day and meditating and going for a run and living with a, you know, my, my diet should be perfect and or getting all my work done. Should be a superhuman. Exactly. Being a superhuman. And I'm sorry, but life is way messier than that. Right. So for those in our audience, I, and I, I love that you have a workbook that has a ton of exercises that we'll recommend here in a minute for our audience. But for those audience members who are feeling that intense self-criticism, I'm sure a few are nodding with their headphones on their walk, hopefully. Yes, that's me. 
you know, I, I have this feeling that like, I didn't do it right. I have to restart immediately. And it's always weighing on them. What are a couple exercises that they can do to start to unpack that self-criticism and, and use it in a more meaningful way? Yeah. So the first thing I try and teach people about self-criticism is, well, the antidote to it, there's two antidotes to self-criticism. The first is self-compassion and the second is action. So self-compassion is a hard skill set sometimes to learn because we can be very compassionate towards other people that really struggle to turn that around and point that skill at ourselves. It's made up of being able to sort of like I've got a little exercise you'll see it's actually on my website as well if people want to check that out called the baby chick exercise so you can um, it's just a small like five minute visualization of imagining you're holding a little baby chick and how vulnerable it is and how you can care for it and how you can feel it you feel a sense of responsibility for that and what it's like to hold your own struggle and suffering in the same way, your own disappointment and hurt and shame. And, and um, you know, that's, I mean, that's an exercise that I do see regularly, like tears, because sometimes that's the first time people have actually said, hey, you know, hang on, I'm a human and we all, we all struggle. We all suffer. It's part of the human existence. And so being able to offer that same understanding of that, like that, that human suffering is a, is something that is part of our natural experience and that we can hold that and honor that and say, okay, I'm struggling right now. What do I need? What would help me in this moment? And it's not going to be self-criticism. It's not going to be it. It may be some more supportive encouragement might be you know, the way that we need to talk to ourselves, like we can do this, I can do it, take your time, you know, those kinds of statements with a warmer tone of voice. A lot of my clients, pretty much everyone I know, um, it's in some ways we feel like we have to be critical on ourselves in order to be successful because if we're not critical of ourselves, we'll be lazy, we'll, you know, we'll, that's a really, you've probably heard that, it's a really common belief set. And I, there's another thing on my website called the two teachers metaphor where we tease that out too. It's also in the book. Both of them are also in the book, but it's, uh, you can download that one for free though. The two teachers metaphor is where we sort of talk about like the two different, two different ways you can talk about talk to yourself and how you can hold yourself accountable for achieving the outcomes, the results that you want, the standards that you want. And you can do that with a warmer, kinder manner. You know, you can, and you can be more compassionate to yourself at the same time. And I said, there's two antidotes for self-criticism. The other one is action. So how do we respond to that self-criticism? First of all, do we believe it? I mean, do you, just because you say it, you think in your head, you know, you have a thought like, I'm no good at this, everyone hates me, does that automatically mean that that thought is true? Uh, and I think often we just believe it because we think it, but it isn't actually true, right? So um, it isn't necessarily true at all. So being able to then, if, if that isn't true, like how would I behave, what would I do 
even if I had, you know, even in the presence of that self-criticism, even while I'm saying in my head, I can't, I, um, they hate me, you know, how can I still do the things that I want to do in my life? even though I'm criticizing myself, because the more we listen to that self-criticism and just do what it says, like, they don't like you, you don't say anything, and we don't, you know, then we're we're just reinforcing that self-criticism. We're just going to get more of it. So it's a, it's a bit of an act of rebellion, really, I think. There's a lot to that, but I think definitely those two things, there's so much out there on, on self-compassion, I can't tell you. Kristen Neff. Paul Gilbert, Dennis Turch, Laura Silverstein Turch. These are these like if you haven't had an episode on self-compassion, I can highly recommend any of yeah, those people. We had Kristen F on for that exact oh, reason. Fantastic. There you go. So go back and listen to that episode of the podcast, guys. So um it is so, so important for self-criticism. I'm so glad you've had her on. She's great. She is fantastic. And it was a very important lesson. We got a lot of great feedback on that because I think when we hear exactly that self-compassion, our heads go to, well, isn't that just quitting or being lazy or, or sitting on the couch and making excuses? And it's really not it at all. And in fact, the more self-compassion we can have, the more acceptance, the more we can move towards these big goals that we have for ourselves. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We love asking every one of our guests what their X factor is, what it is that makes you extraordinary. Oh my gosh, my perfectionist says, oh, I has a lot of criticism to say about that question. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been working on this stuff for a long time. Um, I, it's interesting, my initial reaction is feeling quite uncomfortable about that question, like that I would have something extraordinary. Because, yeah, my inner critic would pretty much want to shoot that down if I said it out loud. <laughs> I think I, um, if I had one skill, I think I'm, I'm good at like, um, perceptive and good at picking up patterns and, and reading, reading people. So I'm good at finding this stuff and, and like helping people put the pieces together of how it's working in their life. I love that kind of process, like unpacking the processes of what's really going on with people. That's the way my brain works. I was told when I left school, I should be an engineer, but I'm not great at math. So that was probably not good advice, but it's like the, you know, I, I do imagine it that way. And yeah. So I think if I could, you know, like think about your clients, you can use that analytical skill, but you can use it in a way that is really helpful and hold it lightly. So I think that's what I try and do anyway. Right. Yeah. And I think it's very valuable to have many skills on the tool belt. There are certain contexts and times for each of them. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our audience find out more about these exercises in this fantastic workbook? So the workbook is out. You can find it. It's the ACT workbook uh, for perfectionism, and you'll find it on Amazon or on any bookseller. It's uh, published by New Harbinger. And the um, my website is just jenniferkemp.com.au. And although .com will probably get you there, I um, have a, a bunch of different like links and worksheets and those kinds of things. So they're sort of pieces of the book loaded up. I've got a couple of eBooks that are free loaded up on there. So I really encourage you just to download whatever you want. So I'm really keen for people to, to have useful tools. 
Uh, they're designed to be, some of them are designed more for therapists and more technical and some of them are sort of designed for anyone like, and leaders and those kinds of things. So just, yeah, use what you want. Yeah. And hopefully some of that's helpful for, for folks. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of your morning. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, guys. You might be wondering, is this it? Is this all there is? Is this the rest of my life? If you've asked yourself that question and you've gotten uncomfortable with being comfortable, you have come to the conclusion that you want more out of life. You're not done. And if that's the case, then join us, the Art of Charm team, and hundreds of other people just like you who are experiencing breakthrough conversations, supercharging their confidence, and growing an incredible network inside our world-famous X-Factor Accelerator program. The X-Factor Accelerator is where high-achieving, like-minded people meet, strategize, and unlock their hidden X-Factor to make sure that they get the most out of life's opportunities and unlock those doors, keeping you from success. We start every month with an intense goal-setting strategy session so you have a personalized plan of attack, as well as weekly implementation sessions with opportunities to practice your conversation skills, rapport building, supercharge your charisma through powerful communication, and unlock the charm to attract the right people into your life. Are you ready to win at Love, Work, and Life in 2022? Imagine what you can accomplish with coaching and mentorship with the Art of Charm. What are you waiting for? Join us today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. Johnny, perfectionism is one of those subjects that we've written about on our blog and we've talked about on numerous episodes of the show. And it's so great to have insights into not only where it comes from, but how we can start to take steps to actually move beyond it. I think that's the most important, right? Once you've identified yourself as a perfectionist, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to wear it as a badge of honor? Or are you going to take steps to get productive? That's where the rubber meets the road. I love it. And let's give a shout out to one of our Facebook group members this week. This week's shout out goes to Facebook group member Monica S. She joined the free group a few weeks ago and writes us to tell us she's loving our weekly live training videos. Hello, thank you. Actually, I've had an amazing few days. I've been really trying to use my toolbox tools as much as possible, and I felt much better prepared to enter social and business interactions. In fact, on Monday, I received a promotion and will be heading to England for training for my new role. Beyond excited, and thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me the confidence to accept it totally out of my usual comfort zone. Looking forward to learning more from you in these live weekly videos. Now, if you want to have amazing success and get a fun opportunity to interact with me and Johnny, then you want to join our fun Facebook group. It's totally free. And every single week, Johnny and I go live sharing with you quick tricks to help you have more impactful conversations. Head over to theartofcharm.com slash group to join for free today. That's theartofcharm.com slash group, G-R-O-U-P. All right, before we head out, a huge thank you to our producers, Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. We hope you have an epic week. Yeah, I